welcome to our Sunday School Hour. I invite you to stand as we sing hymn number 324, Draw Me Nearer, hymn number 324. I am thine. Thank you. you. may be seated unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. We'd like to recognize you at this time. Well, amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and to have each one of you here with us. A few things from the bulletin as we start. Uh, first of all, we want to welcome uh, Lalo and Caitlin with us today. Uh, they're here interviewing, and uh, so uh, we've had a great time with them this weekend uh, they brought in a little ice with them, you know, Friday night, but they got here before it happened, so that was a good thing. Uh, but we've enjoyed having them, and if you want to get around and get to know them, you have a little bit of time to do so. Um, we want to extend our sympathies to the Medlin family, uh, Brother Paul's homegoing. We did his funeral on Friday, and so if you would remember to pray for Miss Joanne and the family, I know they'd appreciate your prayers. 
then if you would um, be planning towards missions conference. We've been announcing it now for uh, several weeks. We always do it at the same time of the year. So March 1st through the 5th, that's this Wednesday night we start, okay? Uh, evening services will start at 7 o'clock. That'll be uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're going to have uh, the Scuffums with us. We're going to have the Parkers with us. And some family named the Marinos are going to be here with us. And we're looking forward to having them. Uh, each night we'll come, we'll have some slides, we'll have some preaching, and then we'll have dessert. Huh? Everybody in for dessert? I'm in for dessert. Sounds good. Um, and we'll just have a great time. And then on Saturday night, uh, we will have our big banquet at 5. And uh, that's always a big thing. You want to make sure you don't eat for maybe... Just eat desserts this week, okay? And then you'll be ready for the big banquet, but we always have a great time there. And then uh, Sunday morning, we'll be taking our faith promise commitment. Now, the Parker family, they're going to be with us Wednesday through Friday for sure. They may come to the banquet, but they had already booked uh, the Sunday to be out at Halstead. And so I have another friend of mine coming in uh, Sunday morning. We'll actually be here Saturday night, uh, Brother Claude Slate and his wife. He's a retired pastor, pastored for a number of years down in Arkansas, did a great job. Uh, health kind of forced him out of ministry, and so they're going to be with us. He's going to preach uh, the Sunday morning sermon, and um, they're getting ready to go to Germany. Uh, as a pastor, you have... Uh, abilities with the church to be able to help you go. Now he's retired, he doesn't. So we're going to take an offering to help them be able to go to Germany and be used of the Lord there. He's a great preacher, and uh, I know you'll really enjoy getting to meet the slate, so it'll be a good time. Then a youth rally coming up on March the 17th. We'll be going to Faith Baptist Church, meet at the church at 545 bringing $12 cash, and uh, they don't accept cards, so you want to bring cash. That's kind of an oddity. Uh, I imagine in the years to come, we'll actually have to teach kids what cash was, you know. I just kind of imagine that's the way it's going to be. I mean, who, who thought when I was a kid that you'd be able to carry one of these around, right? And then that it would be more than just a rotary phone. It would have a computer in it, you know, and keep track of... When you're awake and you're asleep and you need to walk more. My, I hate it when mine tells me, you need to stand up. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. I've got a wife for that, amen? But uh, anyhow, so uh, $12 cash. Man camp coming up. Uh, looking forward to going to man camp. Costs $55. It'll be due on the 8th. And uh, the man camp itself will take place on the 24th, 25th. Go down to Mount Vernon. And always a good time fellowship down there. So guys, 13 and up, plan on that. And the ladies will go out to eat that night. Uh, if you're interested, 6.30, going to Jose Pepper. And so uh, plan that way if you'd like. Uh, prayer needs, we want to continue to pray for all these that we have listed here and uh, continue to lift them up. Uh, it's good to see uh, Mrs. Chen up and going. Matter of fact, um, she's getting ready to go get Aunt May uh, here in a little bit. Uh, so pray for her. Continue to pray for Miss Mandy as uh, she's recovering from that broken foot. And then uh, Mrs. Benson, Deborah Benson, went in and had some surgery. Uh, had um, 
uh, some surgery done, and so she's recuperating a little, uh, little slow in her movement, so you might challenge her to a race or something when you see her. Uh, but pray for her that uh, she'll be able to recoup from that. And uh, it's, one of the, it's a stimulator placed in her back to help with the pain that she's had for eight years now. And so praying that it'll take effect and do its job. I have a thank you letter I'd like to share. Uh, it's from the Marshalls Church Planners to the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I'm taking on these Colorado guys because I need to go out and visit them, right? Uh, Platteville Baptist Church in Platteville, Colorado. I don't really know where Platteville is. Where's Platteville, Colorado people? Nowhere? Okay. Somewhere, but we don't know. So anyhow. Uh, Pastor Matt Singer in Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now unto him is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask and think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. There's a principle in this verse that no matter what we expect of God, when our expectation is aligned with his will, he will always go above and beyond that. Even when we raise our expectations, he raises his abundance. There's also a principle that God supports his own through his own. We received your gift of $100 and are great, uh, greatly encouraged by your support. Thank you seems so insufficient, but thank you for all that you do. God loveth a cheerful giver. May his love flow to you without, uh, without measure, and may he repay your generosity tenfold. Uh, very thankful, the Marshall family. And so good to be a part of helping uh, these families get out and do the work of the Lord, and uh, thankful that we're in a position that we can do that and help them be a blessing to them. We're going to have uh, Brother Foster come and lead us in another song, and then we'll get to our Sunday school classes. Lord bless you for being here today. Sing hymn number 162, To God Be the Glory. We'll sing the first and the last verses. Hymn number 162.
this time you can be dismissed to your Sunday school classes. have a new handout. Lesson number 12 is where we'll be in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 2 if you'd like to be turning there. Brother Potts has those handouts. If you need one, please raise your hand. He'll get one to you. Second Corinthians chapter number 2. Now we're still looking at these lessons on it's not what you think and as we consider what we've studied so far especially what we're going to study today. These are things that run contrary to our flesh and its desire, but we have commands from the Word of God and principles that we must follow in order to be pleasing to our Heavenly Father and to do things according to His will rather than our will. And today's topic is probably one of the more difficult ones for us in our flesh, but I'm thankful that we have something within us that can overcome the flesh and its desires, and that is the Holy Spirit of God and His power in our life and the Word of God penetrating into our hearts and our desire to follow Him. So we, this topic today, as, a, as I said, it's a very difficult one, and it's one that we all will face in our life, but we must determine that we're going to do things according to the Word of God. As a Christian, that's what we have to determine to do. And I hope that's your desire and your, your heart today, is that I am going to do things according to the Word of God. I'm not going to allow my flesh, I'm not going to allow this world to influence my decision. I'm going to turn to the Word of God and the truth that I find therein and pattern my life and make decisions according to what it says. And, you're, and any of us who have been down these roads before understand that there's a fight and there's a war there, but we must determine to follow God and do what He has commanded us to do. So, this topic today is you ought rather to forgive. You ought rather to forgive. It's, it's a subject we know, and we've heard much about it. But I just encourage you this morning to open your heart to God's Word and what He's commanding us to do that we might be willing and ready to forgive when situations arise where we must grant that forgiveness. As we look in our world, and we can probably even look into our own lives if we're honest, that bitterness is one of the greatest divisive forces in relationships in churches today. Letting go of a hurt and allowing God to heal is one of the toughest things that God calls us to do. In our flesh, we want to get revenge. We want to get even. We want to make them hurt the way that they hurt us. When someone wrongs us, there is often nothing in us that wants to be anywhere near that person, let alone to forgive him or her. But God calls us to do the opposite of what we feel like doing, to forgive others as He has forgiven us. And that's what we must look to. And consider in our actions, if, we were to, if God were to act or react in the way that our flesh desires to react, where would we be? I'm thankful that God is willing to forgive. I'm thankful He's willing to forgive me in spite of myself. So we must be willing to forgive. Let's look at our text here, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, and beginning in verse number 5. It says here, But if any have caused grief, 
He hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. As we start this lesson this morning, I want to share with you a story of Corey Tinboom, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with her story, but uh, we have a great lesson here in this act of forgiveness and not holding on to bitterness in this story I'm about to share. Corey Tinboom, who spent nearly a year in Nazi concentration camps for her crime of sheltering Jews in Holland, shared a powerful testimony of forgiveness. Years after the war, she traveled to churches sharing her testimony of God's faithfulness and the way He had enabled her to forgive her captors who had so cruelly treated her and her family. After one service, she was receiving guests in the lobby when she saw a man in the line who had been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrück. When she recognized him, she felt physically ill and could not bear to think of talking with him. As he approached her, it was obvious that he did not recognize her. He reached out his hand to shake hers and said, A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. She remained frozen, partly in terror and partly in disgust. He continued, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a garden there, but since that time I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, he reached out his hand. Will you forgive me? Corey later wrote, and I stood there, and I, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven could not. Betsy, her sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Imagine what she's feeling at this moment. And maybe we've not been in such a circumstance as Corey Tinboom, but we've been in situations where it's been difficult to forgive. And this is probably one of the most, uh, uh, I guess, worst situa- situations that a person could possibly be in. And the, the punishment and all that the torment that they went through in these Nazi concentration camps. And yet the, the person who was inflicting that pain and who had caused death to family members is now standing in front of her asking forgiveness. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had, not, for I had to do it, I knew that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. And I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She prayed, Jesus, help me. 
I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my, so- in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. Put yourself in her place and ask the question, would I be willing to forgive someone who had caused such harm and pain and suffering in my life? Yet we understand from God's Word that's what He asks us to do. And we see here the result of Corey Ten Boom following God's will rather than the will of her flesh. And the tremendous relief that overcame her body as she granted forgiveness. When we think of our lives and what we encounter, there are some offenses which are, humanly speaking, impossible to forgive. Sometimes the way people have hurt us are relatively minor. And sometimes they run so deep as to be irrevocable and life-altering. In these times especially, we may believe that it is our right to hold on to the offense and withhold forgiveness. But God's instruction is not what we would assume. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is giving us a challenge here. Uh, and he's given the challenge to the church at Corinth to forgive an unnamed individual. Uh, Bible commentators think that this may have been the individual who was under the church discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. The challenge was that while the man had repented, the church seems to not have received or accepted him. So Paul here is challenging the church to think and act differently than their natural inclinations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7, So that, contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him, contrary to what your flesh thinks, Contrary to what you want to do, forgive him. Not only forgive him, comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So notice here in particular the word contrarywise. Paul was instructing the church to literally go against what felt right to them in this situation. Contrary to holding a grudge, they should forgive. Indeed, our natural tendency is to hold grudges, to seek revenge, to refuse to forgive. Yet forgiveness is necessary for the blessing and power of God to flow through our lives. In fact, Paul told this church that Satan could use an unforgiving spirit as a way to gain an advantage, not over the one who did the wrong, but over the one who refused to forgive. Notice in verses 10 and 11 of our text, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive, forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the prison or in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So as we approach this topic, we must do so in the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
And God has given us instruction from His Word and how we ought to handle situations and how we ought to deal with people. And He's telling us that we ought to have an attitude and a heart of forgiveness. And He's talking here about what happens if we choose the, the other side of that and hold on to a grudge, that we are giving Satan an advantage. So we consider this term advantage and we can correlate it to that of a sports team playing against another team. You want to gain the advantage. For this reason, you might study their strategy ahead of, the, ahead of the, the game or whatever you're playing. You might watch videos of their past games. I know they do this a lot in football, and they're looking at the different plays that they might be able to defend against them. And they look for plays in the roster matchups that could help them win the game. So they're looking for an advantage. When we harbor an unforgiving spirit, we give Satan an advantage to work destruction in our lives. So we're opening a door of opportunity for Satan to understand our heart, and he sees an opening, and he will take advantage of that opening. So we have someone who has committed an offense. We could say that they've committed a sin, whatever the circumstance might be, but they've committed a sin. That sin may have been committed against us. From the Word of God we see here that if we do not forgive, we are opening the door for Satan to gain an advantage. What happens when Satan gains an advantage? We give in to temptations and the desires of our heart. And then what happens? We find ourselves in the place of sin as well. So we have a sin on this side. Because we chose to do what we wanted to do rather than what God desires to do, we've committed a sin on this side. Who's helped here? No one is helped. For the cause of Christ, no one is helped. So if we're looking at things from eternity's perspective, what should we do? We should forgive. And as we forgive, then we have the opportunity to minister to that person who has sinned and who needs to be restored and who needs to be reconciled. So Satan, as we give him the advantage to work destruction in the lives of others, when we harbor bitterness, it destroys the lives of those around us and it destroys the lives of us as well. Many families have been torn apart because a spouse or a parent refused to forgive. Many children have been deeply affected and eventually hardened their own hearts to God because of bitterness that they saw in their parents. Many churches have split over matters that could have been resolved through forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How do we fail the grace of God? when we fail to extend the grace that has been extended to us. God's grace is amazing. We sing songs about how amazing that grace is. And truly it is amazing. That grace has been extended to us, and we need to offer that same grace to those that we have relationships with. According to Matthew chapter 18, forgiveness has to do with canceling a debt that we feel someone owes us. Jesus told this story to help us understand Bible forgiveness. If you turn to Matthew 18, I'd like to share this with you. I know you're familiar with it, but I think it does us well to be reminded of truths that we find in the Word of God. Because I know how strong the flesh is in my life, 
And I know how strong temptation is. And I need the Word of God to align me to truth and to help me to make right decisions, right choices, and to have the right attitudes and feelings towards others around me. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid, his, laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Sounds familiar to what his story was. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, how is he going to pay the debt, being in prison? So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. We have a great command. You know, I think we take some of the principles that we find in the Word of God too lightly. But God is our Heavenly Father, and He has expectations for the way that His children ought to live and how they ought to behave. And He's telling us that we need to be a people with a forgiving spirit. People will do things against us. People will hurt us. But God commands us to be a people of forgiveness. Bible forgiveness is complete. It's unconditional. And it's continual. The idea is that we give the hurt to God and release the right to exact revenge. There are days where it may seem easier to forgive, but how many of us rehash what's happened and then that continual forgiveness needs to kick in? We need to let it go as God commands, releasing the right to exact revenge. Now understand, there's some, some things we, as we consider sin and its ramifications, that this doesn't mean that there are no legal or relational consequences when someone has violated another person. For instance, if someone has embezzled from a church, the church must report it to legal authorities. The same is true when someone has abused or assaulted another in a way that breaks the law. If a spouse is unfaithful in his or her marriage, there will obviously be aspects of this broken trust that need to be worked through for restoration. There are consequences to sin. 
Forgiveness doesn't take that away. There are consequences that we must pay when we sin. So the larger principle here is that when we forgive, we release the right to be paid back or to exact revenge. We can say the words, I forgive you, but words without a heart change mean nothing. We must learn to forgive from the heart. And we know that forgiveness is a choice to give the hurt to God and to allow God's grace to flow through you. But what does true forgiveness look like? How do we know that we've granted forgiveness as the Bible commands? How do I know if I am genuine or artificial in my forgiveness? Well, there are Bible examples for us to look to and to understand some principles and truths about forgiveness and uh, what the aspects of it look like that we might be able to pattern our forgiveness accordingly. Joseph faced many hurts in his life and many specifically at the hands of his half-brothers. Although the Bible does not tell us specifically, we assume that because he was human, he found it challenging to forgive his brothers. They hated him, they betrayed him in the worst ways imaginable. Yet, when he saw his brothers again some 22 years later, he evidenced an amazing grace-filled forgiveness towards them. It is possible, perhaps even likely, that Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers was a decision that he had made over and over during those 22 years, filled with difficulty and hurt that was a result of their betrayal. When we're in a situation like that where we've been betrayed or when we've been hurt, or when we've seen someone else betrayed or someone else hurt that we love, our natural response is that of revenge, is that of of also asking the question or saying the statement, this person does not deserve that. This wrong that has been done to them, they don't deserve that. But we need to be reminded that none of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserve God's forgiveness. And the sin that was committed against us or that or another person that we love, understand that we ourselves in our sinful condition, and the sin that resides within us, that sinful nature, we are, we are capable of the very same things that they've committed. And in the eyes of God, one sin is enough to send us to hell. It's, we understand that there are, the sins that are committed, there's different levels of consequence. There's different punishments for certain sins, but we must understand that if we are to be followers of God, then we must possess and be willing to grant the same grace and forgiveness that He has extended to us. So me, if I've committed one sin, and I've committed more than that, and I know you have too, but for the sake of the argument, if I've committed one sin, I'm not worthy of the grace of God. I'm not worthy of His forgiveness. Yet, because He loves me and desires a relationship with me, He's willing to grant forgiveness and grace if I ask forgiveness of Him. We ought to be willing to do the same. We ought to be willing to grant forgiveness to those that have caused hurt and pain and heartache. So, what does this forgiveness look like? 
When we look at the life of Joseph, we see the fruit of forgiveness. And it may be that the fruit of forgiveness we see when, we, when he finally saw them again was a result of years of repeated decisions to forgive. So as you make the choice to go against your natural way of thinking and obey God's instructions to forgive, don't be discouraged if you don't see all of the results in that very moment. It may take time as God's grace brings healing to you and as it flows through you. Don't let the time span in Joseph's life lead you to say, I'm not ready to forgive. It's going to take some time. Rather, let it motivate you to make the choice to forgive immediately so God's grace can begin immediately, working to heal the situation and heal in you and let that flow of forgiveness come through you. When we get out of the way, when we release ourselves of the bitterness and the revenge and the hurt, if you will, and we allow God's forgiveness to flow through us, then God's grace can then begin to work in the situation. What were the evidences of forgiveness in Joseph's life? And what do they tell us about our own choice to forgive? We're going to look at four things over the next couple weeks probably. What does forgiveness, true biblical forgiveness look like? Well, here's some evidences here. The first one, when I have forgiven, I no longer gossip about you. When I have forgiven, I no longer gossip about you. As we consider the life of Joseph, I'm sure many are familiar with this story. We look at the life of Joseph many times, especially talking about this subject but here's a quick overview of his life. Joseph was one of 12 brothers, with 10 of them being his half-brothers. For all of its strife, we could call the family dysfunctional today. Joseph was his father's favorite, which angered his brothers. Joseph's brothers sold him to slave traders when he was just 17 years old. They told their father he had been killed by wild animals. Joseph was taken to Egypt, where he was given great responsibility and trust, but still a slave. His master's wife lied about him, making a sexual advance on, on him. He was put in the dungeon as a political prisoner. In prison, he helped others interpret their dreams. One prisoner was released back to Pharaoh's court. Two years later, Pharaoh had dreams he could not understand, and Joseph was called up to interpret them. The dreams which Joseph interpreted signified that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Joseph suggested that during the years of plenty, the Egyptians store food for the years of famine. Pharaoh made Joseph second in command over all of Egypt and gave him the responsibility of overseeing the food storage and distribution. During the famine, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy food, but they did not recognize Joseph. Through a series of two meetings and a few tests along the way, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And after Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, others in the palace heard of this amazing reunion. In Genesis 45, 16, it says, And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. When we consider this, what's remarkable about Pharaoh's 
And his servant's response is that they were pleased. Presumably, if they had understood the reality of Joseph's brother's betrayal and selling him into slavery, they would have been more likely to imprison the brothers than to be pleased at the reunion. Joseph's forgiveness had been so complete that he had not spent the past nine years in the palace, seven years of plenty and two, two years so far of famine, gossiping about his brothers. See, Pharaoh and the servants knew nothing about this situation and what was done in the past. He hadn't made it his mission for others to think poorly of them and to see what a martyr he himself had been. Let's pause there and ask ourselves, have we responded that same way in situations of betrayal and hurt? Have we made it our mission to cause pain and cause others to know the pain that we've suffered by what someone's done to us? Once again, this aspect of forgiveness does not mean we don't report crimes to law enforcement, but it does mean that we don't seek to make everyone around us see the one who did us wrong as the evil villain and us as the helpless victim. Even if that is indeed the case, instead we put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, and we forgive even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put off these things. Put on these things. And be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I find it hard to put on these things that we've been commanded here in Ephesians 4.32. That last statement should help us tremendously. Remembering that God, for Christ's sake, Christ willing to pay the price of my sin, because Christ was willing to do that and forgive me, I ought to be willing to forgive others. One of the indicators that we have not forgiven others is that it constantly comes out in our speech the offense, what has been done. When we are eager to speak about what has been done to us, to anyone and everyone who will listen, we know that we are struggling with forgiveness. This is an indicator. Titus 3.2, to speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. It's a very convicting lesson, isn't it? It's very convicting for me. And I hope that it's convicting for you that we have much that we are required to do of God. And remember the reason why we are commanded to do this. The, the greatest need of mankind is to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and to have a relationship with Him. So whether a person is unsaved, then their greatest need is to know Jesus Christ. For those who are saved and have fallen into sin and committed trespasses, their need is to be restored. To be reconciled once again in a right relationship with God. That doesn't have anything to do with losing salvation. We know that once we're saved, we're always saved. But a relationship can be hindered because of sin after the moment of salvation. So this is what God desires to do in our lives, and it's what He desires to uh, work through us that we might extend these, these same things to others that they would have a right relationship with God. It's what it's all about, is a right relationship with Him. 
The lost coming to Him, the saved maintaining a right relationship with Him. There may be times when because of the depravity and extremity of what has been done to us, we need the help of a godly and mature Christian to gain healing and to help us sort through what exactly we are forgiving. There's nothing wrong with getting good Christian counseling from the Word of God. Someone to help you that has maybe walked down this road. These times we may need to share what has happened to us. But even then, the goal should be to keep it confidential and directed toward practicing forgiveness rather than using the opportunity to simply vent out our resentment toward an offender. Pharaoh and his servants were excited about Joseph's reunion with his family because Joseph's forgiveness had helped keep him from sharing with others all the evil that his brothers had done to him. Had Pharaoh been angry with Joseph's brothers, Joseph could not have sent them to Jacob and reunite the family in Egypt. We only have time to get through the first point. We've got three other aspects that we need to look at that will help us identify if I've granted forgiveness in a biblical manner. And it would help us to allow God to search our hearts. And and I know that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind relationships or situations in your life where you've not granted full forgiveness according to the Bible. And I hope that this is a help. It's been a help to me. And I know that any time we open the Word of God, we can be helped if our hearts are open to it. And I pray that's your heart today. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your goodness and your mercy to us. We're thankful for the grace that you've extended to us and the forgiveness that you grant uh, because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary's cross. And I pray that we would be a forgiving people. And Father, I pray that we would recognize the advantage that we give Satan when we harbor bitterness in our heart. And Father, that we are... No better than that sinner if we allow those things in our life. Father, I pray that you would just work in our hearts. Show us areas along this topic that we, we need to grant forgiveness. And Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts, draw us closer to you. Father, I pray now for the service to follow, that you'd speak to our hearts. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention. We meet back in here at 1030.